Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we are talking to David Faraz from Argus Business Brokers, all about the state of the market in the industrial print and wholesale sectors. David is the Managing Director of Argus Business Brokers and specialises in selling and valuing businesses with a really strong focus on manufacturing, wholesale and distribution businesses. David has a particularly high level of experience in selling and valuing print-related businesses and he's also a registered business valuer by the Australian Institute of Business. In this episode today, we are talking about the state of the market in the industrial print and wholesale sectors. We're talking about the trends, who the buyers are that are around at the moment and how they're characterised, which businesses in this industry are most saleable and how sellers can position themselves best in this market. So without further ado, here we go with our discussion with David. David, welcome on to the Deal Room podcast. Thank you, Jonah. Thanks for having me this morning. My absolute pleasure as always, David. Um, All right, so why don't we kick this off? Um, How about we start off by you giving just a little bit of a background um, about the sorts of businesses you deal with, how long you've been in the market, just a bit of a background of you. Yep, absolutely. So um, I actually come from a bit of a manufacturing type background, but mostly on the print side before getting into broking. Uh, um, I've been selling and valuing businesses for about 17 years now. And um, that's mostly been a focus on manufacturing, wholesale, distribution, printing, trades type businesses. Um, So most of what I sell doesn't operate from a shop, it operates from a factory. Um, yeah, that's a pretty much the high-level overview of Argus Business Brokers and me. Love it. Okay, wonderful. Well, look, let's kick it off with just talking about the trends in the market. So what are the trends that you're seeing at the moment in this market? Um, so actually the trends are quite varied and it depends on which segment of the market you're getting into. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about each of those industry um, sectors we discussed, so manufacturing, wholesale, trades, and, and then printing. Um, if, if you look at printing business, I'm sorry, manufacturing businesses, um, they've always had quite good demand. So there's been a pretty strong um, amount of inquiries that have come through for those kind of businesses. Uh, the only ones that I'd say are a bit difficult to sell and not in that much demand are those that are um, very technical so um, and very reliant on um, a very skillful owner. So, for example, I, I once had a 
display manufacturing business. The guy was extremely talented at making these magnificent displays to go into like Harvey Norman, etc. where you'd get the latest mobile phone and it's on the stand and it looks like it's made out of metal with rivets, but it's actually made out of particle board, you know, underneath. And um, we get buyers walking in, they just look at, in awe at what this guy's done, but they just had no confidence that they could do it themselves. So that was actually very difficult to sell. We did get it sold, but it, that was a hard one. So that, that's manufacturing. Um, if, if you move into wholesale, um, also there's massive demand for wholesale type businesses. Um, but if you go and look online, try and find them, they're actually not that many available. I, I don't know if that's because people are just holding on to them or, or what that is, but, um, yeah, the, the, the only, uh, exception to that is you get some businesses where people start to try and sell things and, um, they will sell the good stuff and keep all the bad stuff. So after, you know, a decade or so, they've just got a warehouse of stuff that nobody can sell and it's all outdated and covered in dust. Um, those ones, yeah, they actually usually not making a profit by the time they get to that stage and they can be hard to sell. But any well-managed wholesale business, very, very saleable. Love it. Okay. And what are our, you know, what what are the, and we'll get to um, print in a moment, but the man, on the manufacturing and the wholesale side, what are you seeing as the size of businesses that um, have the most demand? It's interesting. I, um You'd think so with, with businesses, because there's always a pyramid, there's, there's a hell of a lot of small businesses. And then at the peak, you, um, there's not that many of them. Um, but for some reason or other, there seems to be a pyramid of buyers as well, you know, that matches that. And, um, I see pretty much demand across the scale. So, um, yeah, you were just recently involved in that one that we sold with, um, just, circa one mil type profit and um, that one we had great demand for that and um, yeah just um, earlier I think you were also involved in that little chemical distribution one <laughs> that one yeah. that one was like tiny and that one also had um, good demand so I think that just the sector as a whole for that um, with manufacturing I, I think if they're a, a little bit bigger they're, they're better because um there's there's the opportunity for someone who's not that skilled to to walk in and there's staff that can sort of keep the machine going so to speak you know um whereas if it's a, if it's a smaller one then the the owner they don't have the skills and the products are a little bit more technical they'd struggle so uh, yeah i think in terms of size it's across the board yeah. great okay all right and then finally print let's talk about print what what are you seeing in the market in terms of trends in in the print market um i think it's quite interesting if you look at um people as a whole um they will think that the print industry is a dead industry a dinosaur that's going backwards you know um the the way of the video store um and uh, to a certain extent, in certain sectors, that's true. Like you look at um, the forms, people used to print thousands, millions of, of forms for people to fill in and invoice books and um, and they go into the news agent and browse and collect a few magazines and go home with those and the newspapers, etc. All of those have sort of drifted into digital. But 
underlying that, you've got the packaging sector. So we're just using more and more packaging, sending more and more things um, by mail everywhere, you know, lots of small little businesses with their products. And um, so, and along with the packaging goes the labels. So labels and packaging are going gangbusters. They're really strong sectors and those kind of businesses are in, in pretty good demand, actually. Yeah, that that's that's really in- interesting, isn't it? You know, sort of that that split in in the industry. Um, okay, great. All right, wonderful. So let's talk about the buyers. So what what characterizes the kind of buyers that are around? Okay, um, there's there's a whole cluster of of different types. Um, for uh, for the small businesses mainly, you get the owner operators. Those are the guys who sitting in their corporate jobs or whatever and getting sick and tired of uh, working for someone else and somebody telling them what to do. And uh, especially people with a very solidly independent mindset, they want to go out and do their own thing. So um, for the most part, those are smaller budget buyers, but there, there are those out there that, um, you know, have got bigger budgets. We've seen people from massive corporate positions who've been on huge salaries and they've, you know, accumulated quite a bit of wealth and they're looking for bigger ones too. So you get those guys. Um, there's also acquisition buyers. There's huge amounts of those um, so where they um, might want to grow by bolting on competitor businesses onto theirs. In the print industry, and I think different sectors are more used to it, the print industry is very um, – they, they're used to doing acquisitions. So even small businesses will get bought by, by other businesses. And um, I've had some buyers who've bought five, six, seven, eight businesses from me, you know. Um, they just every year or so do another acquisition rather than hiring a salesperson who then owns the, the sales base. They'll buy a business and then, um, you know, the sales might drift off if it's a declining market. But um They'll top it up with their next acquisition, and so they go and and do well like that. They're handy buyers to have in your uh, Rolodex, there, David. I like it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Pick up the phone, and there's another one gone. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I love it. I love it. So, in in the last two to five years, would you say there has been any sort of change in the predominance of each of the particular type of buyers, whether it's this? Um, sort of owner owner operators that are coming out of corporate, or whether these you know professional buyers looking uh, for acquisition as a growth. Has there been any sort of change in either of those? You know, I, I think maybe COVID and all the government incentives have had an impact on that because um, you know people were kept in work so they're all the um, job keeper and job savers going in there and so uh, the government's managed to keep or i don't know if the government was <laughs> has kept it or just luck um but it's kept um employment extremely high and unemployment extremely low which means um you know there's less less of the unemployed people looking for those buyer job type businesses so that's sort of Drop the demand for those those smaller buyer job businesses. Um, so that kind of buyers is less at the moment, and um, the yeah the the acquisition type buyers are a, a bit more prevalent. Um, it, it's interesting that um, 
yeah, sort of good economic times with with high employment, a bad times for selling small businesses and vice versa. Okay, all right. And so then let's talk about the saleability of businesses. Obviously, we, we're talking about three, you, you know, different industries here, but, you know, they have a bit of similarity between them. Um, what what makes each of these businesses saleable versus not saleable or really saleable, you know, and really in high demand versus not? Um, there, there are quite a few things there that will, that will impact the saleability of a business. I think one of the things is having good financial records. Um, and I think having good financial records is also in part um, dependent on having a good quick accountant somebody who's going to make sure that you've got the most recent financials. Um, I often see businesses where, you know, like now they're still giving me 2020 financials as the most recent ones that they've got. Their accountants sort of way behind with getting their, their documentation in order. And, um, you know, that's the business is just not ready because the buyer's accountant's going to say, where's that stuff? I want to see 23 and I'm going to see 22. Well, it's, just an, it's annoying to a buyer, isn't it? You know, and, and, you know, of course, sets off a whole heap of red flags that you don't want set off at that point, you know. Uh, absolutely. So financials, 100%. I agree with you there. Get them ready. What else? Yeah, and another thing linked to financials is often, especially with businesses that are selling a product, um, a lot of the businesses you'll see the stock value has got, um, you know, 100,000 naught, 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 nobody did a stock take there, you know, um, and um, it's just 100,000 at the end of every year or, or what have you. So when, and I've seen that um, with a variety of sizes of businesses where they're just guessing the stock at the end of the year. And what does that mean? It means that your gross profit is an estimate, which means your your bottom line profit is an estimate. And um, so if you're your um, opening and closing stock were quite different, then your profit is actually might be very far off what what you've reported. So that's one thing that will make accountants concerned and it'll make um, people less confident in the business and they'll either not want to buy it or they'll offer a lower price because they'll base, base it on a conservative approach, you know. Um, another thing is that I've found which impacts businesses is if people haven't sort of set the business structures up properly. So they've got two or three family businesses running through the th same company and they're just reporting one set of financials for tax. So then they want to sell one and, well, what is the financial position? You know, what financial, what expenses belong to which business and, you know, it becomes very messy. And again, you, you lose buyer confidence and, um, it might not make it through due diligence and it might just, if it gets sold, punish the price quite heavily. So there's that. Well, that's, and I, I just want to add to that because I completely agree with you on the structure side. Some of the other issues that I see from the structure side as well are, um, is when trusts have been used and then can be quite difficult to deal with um, if we're if we're particularly if we have partial sales because there'll be need for a restructure um, before a sale. We're you know we're working on one right at the moment where um, where our sellers retaining thirty percent 
and we need to do a restructure before the sale because the only way to retain that 30% is to restructure the business and then have a share sale for a portion. And that can be a complete pain in the neck and it can be a real trip hazard with tax as well. And the, the classic that we see is just that failure to get tax advice leading into sale and going in with the wrong structure of the sale to meet the structure of the business, you know, and it's only finding out at the last point. So anyway, I don't want to railroad the conversation. I just want to, you know, reiterate, David, I completely agree. Get your structure sorted out. Yeah. Talk, talk to your lawyer, talk to your accountant, make sure that that's all uh, absolutely um, well set up. Well in advance. Yeah, well, well in advance. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And what else? What else have we got in our list? Um, one another thing that I see sometimes is you've got a, a business where you've got three or four family members working in the business, and um, those family members um, all want to leave when the business is sold. So um, suddenly you've got and. Um, their roles are not clear, the hours that they work are not clear. So the buyer looks at this, um, you know, who am I going to replace? How does somebody walk into a business and have to replace three or four people at the same time? And, you know, can they do it? Are they going to be able to succeed? So that sort of structure can put buyers off. So if it's okay if those family members are proper paid employees doing a professional job and most of them want to stay so maybe just the owner wants to leave that's probably okay but you know it should be if, if they I suppose the lesson there is that if their family members in there they should be professionally and properly employed by the business and um, at, at sort of as close to arm's length as you can get and um, you know if they proper employees they probably won't want to bolt out the door as soon as the owner sells so um, I think that's that's important, and, and of course one of the, the things is that you know some businesses, if you look at their customer structures, just in terms of saleability again, if they've got one customer that's 50, 60, 70 percent of sale, that's obviously going to be a very much more difficult business to sell than one that's got a good spread of customers. Um, it's harder to correct that than other things, um, but it's something just to be mindful of and, and to adjust one's expectations if one has got a high concentration with one customer, you know, because often often that, that customer may just dislike the buyer and just say, no, I'm not dealing with them. So. Well, and I guess it's about looking at the business from a buyer's eyes as well and, you know, working out what it is that a buyer is going to see as risk. And certainly that customer concentration may have worked for the business in the past, but absolutely is viewed as a risk from a buyer's eyes, isn't it? I think also premises-wise, you know, there are a few things in relation to the premises. So I, I suppose number one, you know, obviously first impressions last. And um, one of the things I, I often see, you walk into premises and they've got a, a you know, a whole corner there that's, you know, of beds and um, furniture and stuff because their son's just gone overseas for six months and, just ditched all their furniture and they've got a sport in the corner of the factory and they've got their kayak and motorbikes and, you know, all sorts of things like that. So probably it should look like a business. <laughs> right. I love it. I'd not even thought of that one. That's a really good one. That's uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. How often does that happen? Well, Sounds like and, quite often. Yeah, when people own their factories, they just, yeah, it's, it becomes their second um, 
shed, you know, so they've got to watch it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. A bit of a spring clean of your uh, of your warehouse, like it. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, you can just walk into a business and you'll see they've got, say, stock old dusty boxes that that are all frayed and lying in a corner. It doesn't look good and it's useless stuff. It's not worth anything to anybody to get rid of the stuff, you know, or some old broken machine that they cannibalizing for spares or something. Just just make it look nice, you know. It's just uh, that people are thinking as where they're going to work. They tend to think of it uh, often, I think, where am I going to park my car? Where am I going to sit? Oh, I can see my, they visualize that. So if it's if it's not very nice, and uh, yeah, that's going to impact the saleability. So I think that's that's important. Yeah, absolutely. And you said there's two things with premises. Yeah, I was just so thinking also in this, terms of the uh, lease, like vendors who own the premises. You know, um, just make sure that that they know what the market rent for that place is if they're going to rent it out, um, and you know. Think about what sort of lease structure they want because um, I've, I have seen also quite dram uh, dramatic changes in expectations in in the lead up to settlement that have stuck deals up. So, for example, um, one factory it was in Brookvale, and uh, this guy had quite a big factory that he was using for quite a sort of not that large a business. And he'd been charging himself about 80,000 rent and he was convinced that was what it was. Um, when it came, the buyer was almost locked and loaded. Um, then he got his market review and it was about 220,000 market rent for the place. So, um, suddenly the viability of the business dropped dramatically, you know. And so, um, I, I think that's very important to to do that research. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And actually that concept of, um, you know, the rent side, it, it is actually interesting how often that is left, you know, not as part of the prime negotiation but right at the end, okay, we'll do a market review, rent review, but then suddenly comes as a sticking point right at the end, you know. So we've actually got a few where there's that's happening at the moment. So I think it's a really good point. Get get that understanding right in the beginning. And it's all about that preparation side, isn't it? But here's the things to, to do to be really prepared. And actually something for an owner to think about with that wrench, you know, often uh, people will be very focused on the value of the business if they own the premises. But um, a premises might, for example, typically be uh, valued at, say, 12 times its annual rent. Just that's not an exact figure, but just ballpark, you know, and whereas the business might be three times its profit. So if you um, reduce the rent by, by say, 100 or 10,000, then um, you might gain um, 30,000 in value of the business. Um, but if you increase the rent by 10,000, you increase the value by 120,000. So it's better to almost sacrifice the business value, you know, a little bit just to, to get the right rent. Yeah. Fascinating. That's a really good point, David. Love it. Putting that in my arsenal. Interesting. Okay. Um, and what else? Did we cover everything else um, that you feel is relevant to availability? You know how the buyers can sort of position their business to get it, you know, ready for sale and maximise its saleability. Um, you know, 
I think some of that is just making sure, again, that they've got their financials all sorted and the latest stuff ready. So it's going to be all their tax returns, all their BAS ready to pull out a report on age debtors, age creditors or or um, sales by customer. You know, obviously, you'll never provide customer names, but you've got to be ready for that. And also to at least appear to be um you know, very open, transparent, and willing to help the buyer with their due diligence because then they'll trust it. And they'll, the moment people clam up, people always wonder what is being hidden away. So, exactly, I completely agree. And and I think it's about being open as well because I really, you know, my experience has been when a buyer, if a buyer is left to find out something that's negative about a business and knows that you have deliberately not told them, that right there can be a deal breaker. It's about keeping that trust and being open, being prepared, having the information, but also being open, I think, with it. And actually I've heard um, it's said that if you're selling something and your message is entirely positive, then people don't trust it as much as if you throw a little <laughs> bit of a negative in there. Well, I don't know. It's, it's totally true. I like it. That's yeah. a really good point, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Another thing with saleability that um, I think one can learn a lot from franchises about it. They gear their businesses up so they can sell a business to anybody. So whatever industry sector it is, they, they're not looking for, well, for most sectors, um, somebody with skill in that industry. In fact, they usually prefer someone who's maybe got good sales or or management experience and, you know, it's about the customer relationships there. Um, so if one's got the systems and procedures and the staff in there who can do things so that um, you've set the business up so that the owner doesn't need to be extremely industry experienced, you know. So um, I think good systems and procedures can help a lot with that. Hundred percent, absolutely, completely agree. Well, look, um, thank you so much, David, for um, your insight into these industries. Really fascinating hearing about what's happening in the market at the moment. Some very, very, very practical tips here about how to get your um, your business in the best position for sale. Um, if we have any listeners who have businesses in the industrial print wholesale sectors. And they want to have a bit of a chat about um, what they should be doing to get sale ready if they're gearing up for sale. How do they contact you, David? Oh, yes, absolutely. They can contact me on my mobile, um, 0425329765, or um, can email me, dave at argusbb.com.au. We'd love to hear from them. Love it. We'll put all of that in our show notes. So if you are running along the beach right now or on your commute into work, know which one I prefer to be doing, um, then uh, don't worry. You've, we've got the show notes. Just pop in. You'll be able to click straight through to David. David, I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on to the Deal Room podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Joanna. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room Podcast. We hope you're now primed for your next deal with these pointers and have enjoyed these fascinating insights. Now, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com. 
com, where you'll be able to download a transcript of this episode, as well as access any contact details and any other additional information we referred to in today's podcast. Now, if you'd like to get in contact with our guests today and the services they offer, you can go ahead and check out our show notes for a link right through to them and their details. You can also book in directly with our legal legals at Aspect Legal. If you'd like to soundboard your next steps, discuss a legal question, or find out more how we can assist, whether that's with buying or selling a business, or perhaps somewhere in between. Now, don't forget to subscribe to The Deal Room Podcast on your favorite podcast player to get notifications whenever a new episode is out. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so please leave us a review and rating if you're already one of our subscribers, or even if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time. Every review helps our team produce valuable content for you. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.